It's time for Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defence Lawyers. We'll get back to open line reaction coming up after the top of the hour. Morning, Michael. How are we doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. Always good to be here. Now, B.C. government lawyers, I recently saw on the front lawn of the B.C. legislature protesting the government. Now, it's not very common for lawyers to protest <laughs> their, their, their employer, at least I wouldn't think. What was going on there? <laughs> no, that was quite a spectacle, and there's a... Uh, a very interesting explanation for what seems to have gone on there. Uh, the, the little bit of background uh, is that uh, in BC, for the past like 20 years or so, there's been an organization, the uh, Crown Council Association, that's represented uh, Crown Council in uh, negotiating with the government over, uh, you know, employment the terms and so on. They're the union for the for Crown. Um, and one of the sort of unseemly things that's happened over the last 20 years or so. Um, is that the the Crown negotiated a contract with the government that caused their salaries to be linked to provincial court judges who have a uh, the provincial court judges have their salaries theoretically determined by an arm's length uh, committee so the government isn't deciding how much they're paying the person who's deciding conflicts with the government right yeah but every time that committee does its work the government exercises its statutory authority to overrule the amount ordered for the judges uh, to reduce it, uh, in part because of the, I guess, the expense of uh, the other people who are linked to the judges, including Crown, right? Yeah. And what happened is after that Crown Council Association formed and they negotiated a contract, the government uh provided the same terms of employment for all of the government lawyers. So they were all paid the same. Well, the government so dislikes the idea of the uh, not having uh, direct control over what they're paying, the fact that its uh, salaries are linked to uh, this independent commission, uh, that they decided to stop that uh, linkage uh, for all of the lawyers except Crown Counsel. And they were threatening to do the same to Crown. Uh, and you may recall, uh, perhaps a year or so ago, there were ads being run, including uh, on this station, by the Crown Council Association, uh, telling people that uh, you know criminals would be running rampant and all the Crown were going to be quitting because of what the government was doing with Crown salaries. Well, the Crown backed off, or the government backed off for the Crown, but uh, maintained, delinked the rest of the lawyers in the government from that agreement, I guess, to save money. Hmm. That lit a fire, I think, under efforts by a group called the B.C. Government Lawyers Association uh, trying to organize all of the other lawyers other than Crown to join a union. Uh, And, in fact, the B.C. Government Lawyers Association has had good success. They managed to get 75% of the lawyers to sign a membership card to join the B.C. Government Lawyers Association to become the union for the rest of the lawyers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that was under, uh, in the context of changes the uh, BCNDP made to the process to certify to become a union last year, where you can sign these cards. If you get 55%, this presumption is you're the union, off you go, right? Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, in consistent with their uh, general philosophy, the uh, government was uh, touting that as one of their uh, accomplishments last year, right? Sort of making it easier for people to collectively bargain. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to what was going on last week. Well, what happened is the the uh, provincial government, uh, in the form of uh, Catherine Conroy, who's also the Minister of Finance, introduced what's referred to as Bill 5. And the title to that uh, is the uh, 2023 Public Service Labor Relations Amendment Act, 
It sounds kind of innocuous. And in fact, when you look at the thing, it's only half a page long, and it seems to just change the definition of who is an employee uh, in uh, the uh, Public Service Labor Relations Act, right? Hmm. And so you think, well, what's the big deal there? Um, Well, what seems to have happened uh, is that Minister Conroy doesn't seem to have appreciated the implication of what that bill would in fact do. And in her defense, it's kind of ambiguous when you look at the thing, because when you read it, it's just sort of this change of definition. The explanatory note doesn't seem to explain what this thing is. Uh, But if you take the time to go and get the other act, read the definition, figure out what the act does, and really what the effect of this thing is, this, that particular piece of legislation would have the effect, if it's passed, of causing all of the other lawyers not to join the BC Government Lawyers Association, for which they wanted to join and signed cards, at least 75% of them, mm-hmm. but would cause them to automatically become members of a different union, uh, this uh, professional employees union, a completely different one, not the one they voted to join, um, which caused a number of concerns. Uh, First of all, that union said, well, hold on, we don't want a bunch of people forced into our union that don't want to be part of us. What's going on there? Second of all, from the perspective of the the, uh, lawyers who were trying to join the BC Government Lawyers Association, one of the fundamental principles of collective bargaining and unions and so on is that employees can choose whether they wish to join the union or not, right? That's up to them. It's supposed to be democratic. And second of all, you get to choose which union you want to join, right? The employer doesn't get to pick what union you're going to be in. That's kind of for the employees. That's really the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. And and so that background is what produced the gaggle of lawyers on the lawn of the legislature, right? Hey, this isn't what we asked for. That's not the union we want to join. What are you doing to us all, right? And so that prompted questions uh, in question period that day about, of the minister, well, what's going on here, right? Uh, and the answers given by the minister in question period uh, were fascinating because it, they demonstrated that the minister, Mr. Conroy, didn't understand what this legislation would in fact do. Uh, the answer she gave, sort of explaining what was going on and why the lawyers were all out on the uh, on the lawn. Uh, was saying, oh, this legislation just uh, permits the uh, lawyers to join the B.C. Government Lawyers Association if they wish to. Uh, We're not requiring them to do that. That's up to them, which is completely wrong. And, you know, the the irony of it uh, may be that without the benefit of advice from the lawyers that are on the lawn, and presumably we're asking them, it would appear that what's happened is that uh, the government, in the form of Minister Conroy, has introduced this piece of legislation and just not understood what it would do. Um, and so in so doing, uh, the without, I guess, any political uh, judgment in terms of whether this piece of legislation forcing a bunch of people to join a union they don't want to belong to, uh, the, the government seems to have, like in my view, just completely lost the plot, Right. Uh, you know, what could be more off-brand for the uh, BC NDP than interfering with collective bargaining rights or interfering with what union somebody might wish to join? Uh, and so uh, that's the pickle the government's gotten itself into. It's introduced this legislation without apparently understanding what it would do. And if it was passed, it would have this completely uh, apparently unintended uh, impact from the government's perspective, forcing people to join a union they don't want to join and a union that doesn't want to have them forced into it. 
And so that's the background for the spectacle of the lawyers out on the lawn of the legislature. Um, so it'll be really interesting to watch. Um, uh, you know, there, there may not be a great public sympathy for lawyers or lawyers for the government, whatever it might be. But I think most people would agree with that general proposition that, look, it's up to employees to decide if they want to join a union or not. And if so, they can join whatever union they want, right? It's not for an employer to get in and muck around with that. And for the uh, BC NDP of all uh, political parties to be introducing legislation, which apparently they didn't understand, uh, that would undermine that uh, is sort of disappointing. Uh, but uh, that's the, uh, the long explanation for why there were a gaggle of lawyers on the lawn of the legislature uh, protesting legislation that the government introduced without apparently understanding it, that uh, if passed would force them all into a union they didn't want to join. Now so that's the uh, that's the background. Now, weren't those lawyers also the ones who drafted the legislation that the government introduced? Wasn't that among their jobs? Well, th- that is a task that government lawyers do perform. But you know, we'll never know this because that's the kind of thing which is kept in confidence. Oh, but I it see. would be unlikely the government would have had them uh, draft this. What would really be fascinating because we we have the bill, right? This bill five. And the bill happens to have this explanatory note at the bottom of it, which is meaningless. It just talks about uh, language that doesn't explain what the actual effect of this would be. What would be really interesting to know, right, is what memo or explanation came with Bill 5 to Cabinet? Like, why was it that the Minister of Finance believed that this bill, if passed, would just uh, facilitate the, the lawyers, if they wish, to, to join uh, the union they wish to join. Why did she have that understanding of what this legislation would do? Because, as I said, if you just look at it, you, you can't tell really what it does. You have to bear down, get the other bill, figure out how it works, what does this definitional change mean. And so what would be really interesting is on what basis did the government get uh, apparently misled into thinking that the uh, passage of this legislation would simply create space for the association to bargain with the government, right? And, you know, the minister seemed to believe that the legislation would support the BC Government Lawyers Association right of association, right? Which is the opposite of what this legislation actually does. So, if somebody were asking a really probing question of Minister Conroy, it would be, what were you told this legislation would do? Why do you? Why did you believe that the legislation would have one effect when, in fact, it has the opposite effect? And so it would be really interesting to know what advice was the government given and by whom uh, about the effect of this legislation, because the legislation, Bill 5, has a, a, an effect which is quite uh, the opposite uh, of what uh, Minister Conroy uh, indicated uh, that she thought it would do, uh, it does the opposite. Um, so we'll never know that. We'll never see that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that that would be fascinating. And frankly, that's the kind of thing which would ordinarily come from some of the people probably out on the lawn, right? Sort of, you know, helping draft things, explain what this would actually do. Uh, because not all things are clear. This one isn't clear, right? And so there's some explanations required. So it looks like this bill kind of slipped through the political process, resulting in this completely off-key, inconsistent message from the government in terms of collective bargaining on the basis that the the minister misunderstood what it would do. Uh, And that's what produced the uh, protest, and we'll have to wait and see 
uh, how that is uh, walked back or undone uh, because uh, a uh, decision to force you know uh, employees into some union they don't want to be in uh, not only is sort of contrary to sort of general I think principles of fairness people would expect but is completely uh, off uh, key. Uh, with uh, the message that the uh, provincial uh, NDP uh, would give out, and you would expect them to give out, right? When they amended the process to form a union, they issued through this happy press release talking about uh, constitutional right to freedom of association, including the right to organize, you know, all these things, which would be values you would expect from the BC NDP. Uh, and this legislation is uh, the exact opposite, and it appears to have uh, slipped in uh, by a lack of understanding about what it would actually do. So uh, that's the explanation for the lawyers on the lawn, and it will be interesting to see uh, how uh, the government deals with that, whether they repeal it uh, or fix it. Uh, presumably now, uh, there's been some explanation uh, provided to the government about what this bill would actually do, uh, just uh, inconsistent with what they thought it would do. Uh, uh, based on uh, whatever information they had. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defence Lawyers. Legally Speaking will continue right after this. And we're listening to Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defence Lawyers, as Legally Speaking continues here on CFAX 1070. Probation conditions unlawful and deleted by the B.C. Court of Appeal. I'm reading here, Michael. What's the story? Yeah, this is an interesting case just released by the B.C. Court of Appeal. Uh, and it has to do with uh, sort of in what circumstances can uh, a judge impose probationary conditions on a young person. Uh, and the case involves a, a young man who was 16 at the time of sentencing, now 18. He pled guilty to robbery, aggravated assault, and breaching some other youth court uh, sentencing condition. And he was sentenced to a period of jail, uh, followed by a period of probation. Uh, and the case involved the lawfulness of two of the probation conditions. One of the conditions required uh, that the young person live where directed by their youth worker, and this was the critical part, obey all the rules and regulations of that residence. Okay, and then not to change it without prior permission. So it's to obey all the rules of the residence. And the other condition was to uh, accept and complete uh, treatment, training, counseling, and assessments, including forensic uh, assessments and, and uh, uh, work. Uh, and so the issue with those two conditions, which the Court of Appeal found to be unlawful, with respect to the obeying all the rules condition, the Court of Appeal found that there were multiple problems with that. Um, first of all, the judge didn't know the what all the rules were, so they were imposing effectively rules that were unclear. Second of all, the if you don't comply with whatever the rules might be, the consequences could be, of course, going to jail, right? Uh, thirdly, the conditions could change at any time, right, the rules of the residence. And so with in that circumstance, it was not permissible for the judge to uh, impose a order that effectively orders somebody to do whatever somebody else says they must do, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that was found to be uh, impermissible. The other condition, which is the condition requiring uh, effectively the young person to undertake uh, medical or other treatment, was also found to be uh, impermissible. And the history of that arises from an adult case, uh, Rogers, or the BC Court of Appeal back in 1990. Uh, and the principle in that case was that uh, you can't constitutionally order somebody uh, as a term of probation to take medical treatment or drugs or things like that without the person's consent. 
Um, because you know you can imagine just how intrusive that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the issue here was: is that different for uh, youth? Right? Could a court uh, do that without the consent of the young person? And the court of appeal concluded that no, that same principle applies um, at least for uh, mature uh, youth. And the principle there is that uh, sort of a mature minor. Um, somebody who has sort of sufficient maturity, intelligence, capability to understand and make choices about medical treatment, uh, they also can't have uh, unwanted medical treatment or uh, drug requirements imposed on them unless they agree to it. So again, sort of that uh, principle of sort of autonomy uh, people would have over their bodies. And so with respect to that condition, the Court of Appeal um, agreed with a proposed fix that the Crown suggested, which was to add the language of, except you shall not be required to submit to any treatment or medication to which you do not consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the take, one of the big takeaways here include, um, you know, probation conditions aren't unlimited, right? They're not sort of whatever a judge might dream up, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, they have real consequences, right? The consequence of breaching your condition can be you go to jail, right? And so... Uh, the message here from the Court of Appeal is you can't be uh, doing things like delegating uh, the power to make whatever rule some uh, home might want, uh, where the consequence would become potentially going to prison if you don't follow them, uh, nor can you order a, even a young person who's mature enough to make some decisions for themselves about medical treatment to take drugs or treatment as a condition of probation. So uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, takeaway uh, Uh, for people in terms of what is and is not permitted uh, in terms of conditions of probation, even for a young person. And it touches on similar themes that you and I have discussed in the past, including but not limited to the bail system being prohibited from being used to attempt to impose medical treatment on someone. Absolutely correct. Bail conditions cannot uh, include conditions intended for treatment, right? Because remembering that Uh, A person who's on bail is presumed to be innocent, right? We don't start treating somebody who you presume to be innocent. Uh, Bail conditions need to be conditions designed to make sure the person's going to show up in court, uh, to protect the public or others from the person, if that's a necessary thing. Uh, But we can't uh, leap ahead and start trying to uh, uh, program somebody or fix them, uh, because, of course, they're presumed to be innocent, right? Uh, if it were otherwise, well, the uh, presumption of innocence would be uh, pretty well meaningless, right? Indeed. We've got one more issue on the agenda today in three minutes and 15 seconds on the clock. Yeah, so this is a local case. Uh, it's a case uh, listeners may remember out of the, it's from the Red Barn market on Maddox. Uh, it's the company was Red Barn uh, at Maddox Limited. Uh, and it involved a uh, manager there who uh, installed a camera and took uh, pictures of women uh, undressed in the bathroom, pretty dastardly activity, yeah. um, and uh, he was uh, convicted of doing that. And this is a civil case flowing out of that same fact pattern. And what's happened is, is that the uh, uh, it's a proposed class action on behalf of this very small class of potentially 13 women uh, who were uh, videotaped or had pictures taken of them and in some cases had those posted online. Um, and so the issue here for the judge was to determine, was it an, is it an appropriate case, first of all, uh, for a class action, right? Because it's a very small class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other question was, is there some reasonable prospect or cause of action against not only 
the person who did that, which is, I think, overwhelmingly clear, he's been convicted criminally, right? There's not much of an argument to be made there. But the, the issue was, well, what about Red Barnett Maddox Limited? Is the company potentially liable for it? Because that's, of course, going to be where the money might be. And that's really the point of a civil case, right, is financial compensation. And so the judge, in deciding whether this should be certified, had to look at some of the proposed evidence about the conduct of not only the person doing it, but the company. Um, and interesting elements included uh, that the at the time, at least, the company was owned by one of the owners, was the father of the person who was doing the video recording. Uh, and then uh, there was evidence that uh, there was this sort of generalized, totally inappropriate sort of uh, sexual conduct at work, including a report from one witness who worked there of this man uh, who did the video recording, like having discussions with her with his pants undone, <laughs> exposing yeah. himself, uh, just completely uh, terrible conduct. Uh, and so the judge had to analyze, is there some obligation on the company uh, or some potential vicarious liability for what the employee did? Uh, and ultimately, the judge found that indeed there was. It's not. Uh, it's uh, there's a reasonable cause of action not only against the person who did it, but the company. Uh, and then further analyzed uh, that uh, it is an appropriate case, even though it's a small number of people, for class proceedings uh, to be used. And so the result of this uh, now is that uh, that now has been certified as a class action, and the class members would be potentially the 13 people who. Uh, were recorded in that way, and uh, the class action will proceed not only against the person who did the recording, but also against the company. Uh, and so there'll be uh, more to come in terms of how this plays out, but it's also an example of how much of the litigation surrounding class actions occur at the stage of trying to get the thing certified as a class action, and that's now happened. Uh, and so it's a local case, and we'll have to watch and see what uh, compensation uh, the women involved uh, wind up with uh, and who winds up being responsible for paying it. Michael Mulligan for Mulligan Defence Lawyers. Legally speaking, during the second half of our second hour every Thursday here on CFAX. Thank you so much as always. Until next week. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. All right. Bye now.